Good morning again, Hope. I am just so glad to be here with you. Uh, I'm trying my absolute best to never take it for granted, uh, especially with the season of life that we're in. Um, so I know that we've been clapping our hands and shouting and hollering all morning, but we just give God praise one more time that we get to be here around one another. It's a good thing. Yeah, it is a really good thing. Thank you to our pastoral intern who does absolutely everything. Uh, she's on the screen, she's on the stage, she lights candles, and she brings out boards. So what can she not do? We're in the third week of our series called Hope Appears Right on Time. It has been our series that has been coming out of Easter. If you haven't been able to listen or check out the messages um, from this series so far, I encourage you to check out our podcast, or you can watch those messages at hopeonline.tv. I especially encourage you to check out the message from last week, as it's kind of a part one to this talk. But even if you weren't able to see that one, uh, no worries. I will do my absolute best to have this talk still make a little bit of sense. To give you a little bit of an update, we're talking about our friend Peter once again, just to catch you up with what's been happening. Uh, Peter is a disciple of Jesus. He's one of Jesus' best friends. Made a lot of big promises, but he couldn't necessarily live up to them. In Jesus' greatest time of need, Peter abandoned Jesus, and he denied him three different times. Denied that he even knew Jesus. It's not quite what we would expect out of a disciple. What kind of expectations do you have? What are the expectations that you have for yourself? What are the expectations that you have for others? Have you ever experienced expectations that aren't met? There's a show on Netflix that my wife introduced me to, and it's called Nailed It. Anybody seen Nailed It? This show is hilarious. Basically, it's a bunch of amateur bakers who try to do their best to imitate the cake of some sort of elaborate, beautifully designed cake that they saw on the internet. It seems simple enough until you see these examples. You've got the expectation, and then you've got reality. Go ahead and check out this first example. You've got pigs that are supposed to be hanging out in mud, and on the right side you see something that is, something that is far less than appetizing. On the next slide here, we see a unicorn cake. Uh, and then on the right side, the attempt, you just see some very sad eyes that seem to be begging for mercy. Um, on the third slide, you see Rapunzel was the expectation. And what you get is how I look when I wake up in the morning. Um, but this show is really kind of a metaphor for life, isn't it? I mean, we have expectations that don't necessarily meet our reality. For example, when I try to go swim laps at a pool, I think that I look like this, but in all reality, I look more like this. It's very difficult. Uh, when I'm trying to flirt with my wife, Abby, and lock eyes of love, I think I look like this, but what she really sees is this. Very creepy, very spooky. She asks, what am I doing with my life? No, she's amazing. We can go back to the series slide if you want. We can get that off. But on a deeper level, what are the expectations that you're trying to live up to? What are the expectations that you have for yourself? The expectations of performance? The expectations of integrity? The expectations that you would have for yourself in your relationships with others? What are the expectations that people have put on you? Those relationships that you have? What do they expect out of you in your devotion to them? What does your work expect out of you when it comes to your effectiveness? What kind of expectations have people put on you when it comes to your grades in school? What kind of expectations have been placed on you? Expectations are a very real part of our lives, and sometimes they don't necessarily meet reality, do they? Every single one of us, we set expectations for ourselves, and in an ideal world, nobody sets expectations on like the bottom, right? So like if this is our scale, our, our measure, right? Nobody's gonna be like, oh, well, I expect to stink. 
You know, like you don't at least want that to happen. If you could be a baby again and you could know everything that you know and you'd have an expectation of how your life should go, of, of course, absolutely. I expect things to go well toward the top of the list. Those are my expectations. But what happens when our expectations meet reality? Let's talk about our friend named Peter again. Let's think about the expectations that were set on him. He wasn't always known as Peter. Once upon a time, he was known as Simon. In the book of John, when we meet him, he's introduced as Simon. He's a fisherman. The expectations for Simon were to get fish and to sell them to people. And from what we know, he was pretty good at it. And then Jesus comes along, and he has a whole new set of expectations for Peter. This is such an interesting meeting between Jesus and Peter. It says that Jesus is looking intently at Simon. I wonder what that's like for God to look you in the eyes intently. You know? He said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Jesus is looking intently at Peter. It's as if Jesus knows what Peter expects out of himself. It's as if Jesus knows what Peter thinks others expect out of him. It's as if Jesus knows what Peter is portraying to be. It's as if Peter, it's as if Jesus knows what Peter hopes others perceive him to be, but Jesus sees Peter. He calls him Peter. He says, you're not Simon. To me, you are Peter. I know who you think you are. I know who others say you are. I know what it's, what's expected of you, but I know that you're Peter. Why Peter? What's up with the name Peter? Well, we can get a different answer for that in Matthew chapter 16. It kind of expands on what Peter actually means, kind of highlighting maybe the same conversation, maybe a recap of this conversation. Jesus says to Peter, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. What an expectation. What a calling. Jesus is calling Simon Peter because he says, the expectation that I have for you is you're going to be my rock. You're solid. What an expectation to live up to. And Peter did absolutely everything he could to live up to this expectation. Any time that Jesus had something that he wanted out of his disciples, Peter's like the first one to jump at it. Any time that there's a calling for loyalty, Peter's the first one to say, I'm here for you. In John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching, and then some disciples leave him. Not necessarily the 12 disciples, but many other disciples. They abandon Jesus because they don't like what he's been teaching. And Jesus turns to his 12 disciples. He says, are you guys going to leave me now too? And Peter says, absolutely not. Lord, you have the words of eternal life. To whom else shall we go? I wouldn't leave you. I'm your rock. That's the expectation. I'm, I'm Peter. This is who I am. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus is walking out on the water. It's an amazing miracle. Peter sees this, and in his mind, he's like, my turn. Jesus, call me out to you. And Jesus is like, yeah, come on, Peter, come on. Peter steps out of the boat, and he's walking. Peter is trying to be this rock. He's the most fiery, passionate disciple that Jesus could have ever asked for. He's trying to live up to this expectation. When Jesus is having his final dinner with his disciples, he's sitting there, and he's starting to reveal to them what's going to happen to him. He's talking about how his life is about to take a serious turn for the worse. And Peter, being the rock that he's expected to be, 
stands up and says to Jesus, I'm ready to die for you. Big time expectation. I can live up to it. But what happens when your expectation meets reality? It's kind of a hard crash sometimes, isn't it? I uh, am 28 years old, but very recently I bought a TV for the first time in my life. The reason is because the TV that I've had for the last 10 years is a TV that lasted me through college, through seminary, a few moves, my first few years here in Ames, the first several months of Abby and I's marriage, and finally it was time to get a new TV. And I was so excited for this, so excited for this, sky-high expectations. So I tell Abby, Abby, I'm going to make this the coolest TV in the world because we're not just going to have, I'm going to hang it on the wall. I'm going to mount this baby on the wall. Come on. I was very excited. High expectations. Setting the bar way on top. And then my expectations met reality. Half a dozen holes in the wall later, I felt like quitting. I realized I couldn't do it. I kept on making wrong moves. I couldn't make it right. And so I began to just dread the thought of mounting this TV to a point where I started to walk away. Because when our expectations don't meet reality, in other words, when we fail the expectation, what do we do? We quit. And we don't necessarily quit just because of what's happened in the past, the holes in the wall, but it's also hopelessness for the future. It's I cannot make right what I've already done wrong. It is I don't trust my ability to fix this. Why do we quit? It's because our expectations harshly meet reality. And sometimes I know that the past really hurts, but what I feel like sometimes we're really afraid of is I could never make this right. It's true. Maybe sometimes we can't make it right. So it's like they're on polar opposites. There's the expectation that then comes crashing down to reality. And what do you do then? What's the thing in your life that you had expected out of yourself that someone expected out of you and it came crashing down to reality? Peter was a man of great expectations and he met reality. In that story where Jesus invites Peter to walk out on the water in Matthew chapter 14, Peter really does it. He's actually walking on the water. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. He becomes overwhelmed by the storm. And like a rock, he starts to sink. And that's really just kind of a foreshadowing of what was to come in Peter's life when he would sink in deeper ways. Peter says to Jesus, I'm ready to die for you. But Jesus responds to him, die for me? Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny three times that you even know me. Expectations are about to meet reality for Peter. It's harsh. It's not fun. In the same way that I wonder if that storm felt out of control when Peter's trying to walk on the seas, if this next scene starts to feel out of control. The scene moves so quickly and so fast that as the reader, we're drawn into it, but we're also feeling like we're watching that car accident we can't take our eyes off of. It's a disaster. 
People come up to Peter after Jesus has been arrested, after Jesus is on trial, after they're beating him and they're mocking him and they're insulting him. The Bible tells us that some of Jesus' disciples were following from a faraway distance just to keep an eye on him. What might be happening? Is there any chance that I might still stick with him? This is Peter's last chance to be the rock. Can I stick with him? Can I actually go into death with him? And no, he can't. Because as he's trying to follow Jesus, as he's trying to go into death with Jesus, somebody comes up to him and asks, aren't, aren't, you, aren't you one of his? No, 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 I'm not, Peter says. He takes his eyes off Jesus. Somebody else comes up to him. Hey, aren't you one of his? He starts to get overwhelmed by the waves and the storm. No, 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 I'm not. The third time, someone comes up to him. Aren't you one of that guy's disciples? Peter starts to sink. In the book of Matthew, in this story, it tells us that Peter starts to call down curses. He is swearing that he doesn't know Jesus. He says, curse me if I know that man. What's he saying? He's saying, send me to hell if I'm lying about this. Eternally exclude me from God's presence if I know that man. He freaks out. And it says that at that very moment in Luke's gospel account, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. He failed the expectation. He quit. He had made so many wrongs. And there was no way to make this right. When that text continues and it tells us what happens right after that verse, what it says is that then they start to mock Jesus and they start to beat him and, 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 and hurl it says terrible insults at him. What kinds of things are they saying to the man that they're about to crucify? It's a heartbreaking scene, isn't it? Jesus is abandoned in the hands of his enemies, left to die, and he's watching his best friend run away from him, taking himself out of the game. I could never make right out of what I've done wrong. I have failed the expectations and I have harshly met reality. Let me ask you again, what is it in your life? What expectation has failed you? What expectation have you failed and you believe that it cannot be redeemed? You believe that it cannot be made right. And so you're left in a place of hopelessness saying, I'm leaving the game. I'm quitting. This is a sad place to be because it makes us miss out on experiencing life. We take ourselves out. Let me tell you this about that TV. I was dreading going back to it. I put it off. I took myself out. There's no way I could get back to it and make right out of what I made wrong. No way. And it's true. I couldn't make right out of what I had done wrong. No way. But I do have a friend who could make right out of what I did wrong. I refused to go back to that TV until my friend Stephen offered to help me. Stephen is a very handy man. And what seemed like Trigonometry, calculus, AP, physics, to me, was like counting to three for him. 
And in no time, the TV is hanging on the wall, perfectly centered. Abby gets home and I say, behold, woman, look what I've done. <laughs> she said, I just saw Stephen driving away in his truck. <laughs> oh, she knew. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I couldn't make it right. But I had a friend who could. You got a friend who can make it right. The truth is there are some wrongs in your life that you will never be able to make right. It's true for every single one of us on a much deeper level than hanging a TV on a wall. But you have a friend who can make anything right. Expectations harshly meet reality. But redemption can break through. Hope shows up at just the right time. By the time that we get to our Bible reading today in John chapter 21, Jesus has already risen from the dead. In the book of John, the author, John, tells us that Jesus has appeared to his disciples two different times. But he does not mention so much as eye contact between Jesus and Peter. How much of a failure do you think Peter felt like? Maybe he didn't feel like he was Peter anymore. He was just Simon. Isn't it interesting? Simon Peter has seen the risen, resurrected Jesus appear in front of the disciples twice. But John doesn't even mention that the two have made eye contact with one another. What's going on? How wrong did he feel about his life in that moment? Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him three times. Peter denied him three times. Jesus has appeared to his disciples once, twice, and now a third time. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, Peter, this one's for you. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss that I can make right out of whatever you've made wrong. I want to bring you out of your place of hopelessness. I know that you think there's no way to redeem what you've done. And it's true. If that's the expectation that you've set for yourself, you will never meet it. But my expectation for you is different than what you thought. But the expectation you can put on me is to bring you out of those hopeless places. Hope shows up right on time. Redemption breaks through after expectations have fallen into reality. Jesus appears to the disciples. They're out fishing once again. Peter was called to be a fisher of people, Jesus called him to be. But now Peter is back to just being Simon, fisher of fish. And Jesus is standing on the shore. He says, hey, why don't you go ahead and go out and cast your nets to the other side? We talked about this last week. And then, Je then Peter and his friends, they cast their nets and they bring in 153 fish. This is the moment where I really want to tell you again, if you missed last week's message, please go to hopeonline.tv, check it out. It is amazing, all that goes into that one little number. Well, it's actually a pretty big number. It's amazing. Check that out. But after Peter realizes that it's Jesus, 153 fish in the nets, he runs to Jesus, he sprints to him. He's got 153 fish to make some food. And by the time that he gets to shore, it says, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? 
Peter had this expectation. If he couldn't fish for people, he might as well fish for, for fish, right? He might as well make himself useful for something in Jesus' life. I got 153 fish now. I can bring that your way. Jesus doesn't need it. He welcomes it. Jesus says to them, he says, go ahead, bring me what you got. But he's already got what he needs. What did Peter expect out of himself? He expected to be this immovable rock. Unshakable Peter. Never going to move me. I'm there for you, Jesus, all the way into death. I can help you. You need me. Let me bring my fish so that you can feed us, so that you can feed the world. I'll go ahead and do the dirty work. And Peter realizes, Jesus welcomes my help, but he doesn't need my help. How easy is it for us to fall in the trap, into the temptation that tells us, we've got to do it. I need to make the move for God. Poor old God's just sitting up there waiting for me to do something. And if I don't, if I don't organize it, God's never going to do something. If I don't say it, they're never going to hear it. If I don't make a move, God can't change the world. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Sometimes it's like we sit here and we say, God's hands, what does God have? My hands are the only hands for God. God welcomes your hands, but do not forget whose hands made the sun rise this morning? Whose breath inspires you to pray and to think and to hope? Who's the Lord of the universe anyway? Let us get rid of this nonsense. I mean, truly, this garbage that we ought to throw away that says little old Jesus is sitting around hopeless and waiting for us to come around to help him lift his finger. He's the Lord of the universe. Jesus Christ welcomes my help, but he doesn't need my help. Therefore, when I fail him, I know that I cannot make wrong what he has done right. The invitation is for my benefit. The invitation is for community with God. It's not, excuse me, it's not because Jesus needs help. It's because Jesus wants us. It's because Jesus wanted Peter. Huh. Do you know that God doesn't just, do you know that God doesn't need you, but he wants you? And what would you rather be? Would you rather be needed or wanted? Needed is when you are the last person to be picked for a kickball at recess. Wanted is being the first pick. Jesus wants you. He doesn't need you. He, he wants you. And he welcomes you. It doesn't stop there for Peter. Jesus keeps on breaking through with his redemption. He's, he's only begun to reveal it. But now he's going to show Peter everything. Peter and Jesus haven't had much talking time since the resurrection, but Jesus pulls Peter aside. And how intimidating must that have been? The last meaningful conversation they had was at the Last Supper when Peter said, I'd go into death with you. The last time they made eye contact was right after Peter had denied him three times. And then he ran away. 
would you do if you were Jesus? I mean, like not shoes that you should put, not sandals you should put yourself in very often. Is he going to have it with him? Is he going to show him what a failure he's been? Is he going to list off all the expectations he had for Peter that he just could never meet? He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He asks him that twice. And both times, Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know, I love you. And there's some interesting things to pick up here. Go back. There's some interesting things to pick up here. Jesus calls him Simon. And I wonder if for a moment that was like soul crushing, you know? Jesus doesn't even think that I'm Peter anymore. In his book, I'm, I'm back to Simon. I, I really should see myself out the door. But he, he keeps on engaging with Simon Peter. No, keep, stay back one more. I'll get there, I promise. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. I try to be careful when I use um, uh, Greek, but I think that this is an important one. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And in the English, we get that word love. In Greek, which is the language that we have the earliest translation of the New Testament for, those are two different words there. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Which is a word that means love. Peter says back, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Another word for love. Both words are very powerful. And quite frankly, in the gospel according to John, they're used interchangeably. Uh, there are many times when Jesus' love for a person is described as phileo. For example, when Jesus is rising Lazarus from the dead, people say, look at how he phileos Lazarus. It's a very powerful kind of love. And yet it seems like John, quite the artist, quite the wordsmith here, is trying to at least let us see that there's a difference between the kind of love that Jesus is talking about and the kind of love that Peter is talking about. Jesus is saying, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Are you meeting the expectation that I set for you? And then Peter's responding to say, oh, Lord, I love you in the way that I can. I only love you as I can. Two different words. It happens two different times. And now finally, a third time, Jesus asks Simon one more time on the next slide. Here we go. We're finally there. Simon, son of John, do you, and this time he says, phileo me. Lord, you know everything. You know I can't agape you. You know I can't reach these expectations that I believe that you've put on my life. You know I'm a failure. You know that my expectations have met reality. You know that you set the bar way too high for me and now I'm left crashing on the ground. You know this. You know everything. You know I can only phileo you. You know that I only have a heart that can give so much. Yes, I phileo you, okay? I phileo you. And it's as if Jesus is saying, well, I can work with that. Good enough. Do you see the expectation that Christ set for Peter long ago? It wasn't save the world, Peter. It wasn't go ahead and love people with the amount of love that I have for people. Of course they can't. 
course, nobody can love people with the same amount of love that Jesus has. Jesus has unconditional, infinite, eternal love. We are finite beings. We run out of love for ourselves. How could we possibly love others with that much love? But whatever your heart is able to offer, give it. And Jesus says, I can work with that. Jesus is not saying to Simon Peter, do you, do you even like me? No, he's saying, give me what you got and watch what I can do with it. I don't need your help, but I welcome it. And with it, you will see miracles. Simon's expectations had crashed down into reality. Jesus breaks through with redemption. And the same is true for you. It's redemption. Right after that, Jesus says to Peter, and he's kind of said this a couple of times already, but now he just says it, feed my sheep. He gives Peter his job back. It's redemption. And this is the part of the sermon where we start going into a place that is countercultural. It would be very easy to end the message here today, right? Because we could say, you know what? I know that I've failed, but God's grace is so good for me that he lifts me up, and that's awesome, and that's it. End of story, right? But it's not the end of the story. Yes, no matter how many times you fail your expectations, no matter how many times I can't clear the bar and I end up crashing down into reality, Jesus can redeem me and he lifts me back up. Absolutely, yes, that's true. But then there's a call. Love people with the heart that you've got. Feed sheep. Jesus has redeemed Peter. He has forgiven Peter. He's offered his full grace to Peter. And it's totally against what we're being taught today about what it requires for someone to be forgiven. Think about what it takes for someone to be forgiven today. It takes no more than five minutes of a scroll through social media to find multiple, multiple reasons for why someone's been excluded from society, removed from their place, not welcome with us anymore, right? And then there's this long, complex, confusing, up to interpretation, oftentimes hypocritical road toward forgiveness, but it's got to be exactly like that. And I'm not just talking about the social media profiles with millions of followers. I'm not just talking about the cable news uh, networks that seem to have uh, manipulative and, and deceitful type powers. I'm talking about us. What are the things that you post? What are the things that you say? What do you believe is required for forgiveness? What do you believe is required for grace? Because Jesus pushes back against what we've been taught. I mean, even in Christian circles, we, we preach a message of grace, but then it's almost as if we start to dabble in this little area where we uh, somehow excuse our reasoning for why, why we've slowed down the journey back to redemption, the journey to forgiveness. Well, let's make sure that they do it the right way. 
And listen, I I understand there is a difference between reconciliation and forgiveness. That's a sermon for another day. But right now we're talking about forgiveness. Right now we're talking about what Jesus offered Peter. Right now we are talking about Peter. He had cursed himself, removed himself voluntarily from the eternal presence of God. And God says, you're welcome back. He brings him back into that place. This is forgiveness. This is welcome back into God's family. And we are told that you have to prove yourself for forgiveness. We have become to make it common to say you earn forgiveness. It's not true. Peter at the end of his life is reflecting. He's writing a letter. You know it today as 1 Peter. It's one of the books in the New Testament. And as he writes this, what story, what moment in his life do you suppose he's thinking about? As he jots these words down on paper. He says, sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. He goes on, he continues. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. We have become confused into thinking that the road to forgiveness must be this mysterious, winding, complicated path. But we cannot escape Jesus' teaching on it. We cannot escape Jesus' example of it. We cannot escape Jesus. Jesus gives Peter his job back. And I know that's not the popular way to do it these days. I know that it's common for us to say you must earn forgiveness, but Jesus offers it. God's forgiveness is a form of grace. Grace, by definition, is a a gift that is given. Too many times we define grace as a reward or as a prize. Jesus has won the reward. Jesus has won the prize, and he shares that with us. Grace is not a reward or a prize. Grace is a gift. If it's not free, it's not grace. We cannot escape this. If we say that we follow Jesus, we cannot escape this. We cannot be the kind of people that remove others from society. We cannot be the kind of people who cheer on hatred. But we like to code it in lots of different ways. We have lots of fun sayings for how we put it. I hate you! The world's a better place than we love. So let's get out the haters, right? Look, that would be the easy way to do it. It's the way that we're trying to do it, right? Again, scroll through your social media. Scroll through your own page. Look at what you've posted. I'm a part of this too. Look at what I've posted. We've been trying so hard just to remove people and thinking that that will solve the problems of failed expectations, meeting harsh reality. What will redeem the world is if we just get the wrong people out. Well, eventually I'm going to be one of those wrong people who's removed. Eventually you're going to be one of those wrong people who is removed. We've been trying this and where has it gotten us? When we post those witty little things, that are supposed to promote love, but in all actuality, we're posting it just so somebody else might see it. And we got one person in mind, and as soon as we see that they saw it, we're like, good. 
We say something in a conversation rather than saying it to a person directly out of love. We just kind of float it out there and hope that it cuts them on the way out. Makes it burn. Jesus doesn't allow for it. In that last dinner that he had with his disciples, Jesus is sitting with them and he says, this is the expectation. The expectation that culture has set, the expectation that we are a part of setting, is that forgiveness must be earned. That grace is a prize and a reward. But this is the expectation that Jesus sets. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Our witty posts will not prove our discipleship. Our condescension will not prove our discipleship. Our fights will not prove our discipleship. Our political party will not prove our discipleship. Love shows the world who we follow. Maybe you're seeing there, like, well, love each other as Jesus has loved. I can't love like Jesus loves. I don't have that kind of capacity. How did Jesus love? Jesus knows you can't save the world. He knows that you cannot resurrect yourself from the dead. But what did Jesus do with his love? He loved with his entire heart. He loved with his whole heart. That's the way that we're called to love. Whether you have agape love, phileo love, whatever kind of love, whatever kind of love, so long that it is love. Love with your whole heart. This is the expectation. And then you can be like Peter. Peter's this guy with tons of failed expectations in his life that have crashed down into reality, but he's been brought up into redemption. So a guy like Peter understands grace. Do you want to know who really understands grace? Do you want to know who really understands God's power in his redemption for us? It is the people who offer grace so freely because they know what it's like to receive that grace. No wonder so many of us hate ourselves. Because we've been a part of projecting the idea that it is impossible to be forgiven. It's impossible to be welcomed back into the place that you ruined. And if we don't believe that we can receive forgiveness, why in the world would we give it to anybody else? But grace is a gift. Forgiveness is God's promise. Through his son, who loved with his whole heart. This is the new expectation. You, do you know this? You can live expecting God to forgive you. Not because of what you've done, but because of what God has said. And God's word is always true. You can expect God to give you grace because he said he would do it. God's expectation for us is to just love with our whole heart. Hmm. So suddenly the expectation is love. And the reality is redemption. Expect it. Whatever you got, give it to Christ. All of your wrongs, give it to Christ. All of the wrongs that have been done to you, as much as it hurts, and I know that it hurts, 
surrender it to Christ. And he can begin to make things right again. Expect him to make things right again. Expect redemption. Amen. Let's stand and sing.